right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320-KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. And on today's show, we're going to talk to Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. We're going to talk to Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. We've got more RCST trivia Coming at you in the 4 o'clock hour as all these trades just spin in. The MLB trade deadline is today. It's coming up in a few hours. So far, the Royals haven't done anything, which maybe is a little surprising, but a lot of times, you know, you might not get deals done until literally the very end at the deadline. So if the Royals don't make any moves, it's going to be very disappointing, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt till the deadline actually comes. And honestly, it might not be something until we talk about it tomorrow. KU football camp has begun as of this morning. The Jayhawks practiced for the first time with everyone back. There were a few players missing, like most notable was Lorenzo McCaskill. The transfer from Louisiana hasn't made it on campus yet. I'm not sure the reasoning why, but that's obviously something you want to get corrected right away. Like He might be the best or or most talented linebacker or best combination of talent and experience that KU has in that linebacking core, a position that they really struggled in last year and that they're trying to overhaul this year. And for a guy who is a newcomer trying to learn the the defense and try to learn the scheme and playing with everybody else on the team, they need him back with the team as soon as possible. Uh, but some other KU football news before we get into that real quick. There was a commitment last night from Marcus Calvin. Marcus Calvin is a six foot two, 290-pound defensive lineman out of St. Petersburg, Florida, He is a class of 2023 player, and he had other offers from Vanderbilt, SEC school, and uh, Liberty, which has been like a good independent school, and then a couple other local schools in the area. Three-star recruit, ranked in the top 1,300 nationally for KU. He is the 139th ranked defensive lineman, and a guy that, like this seems like the perfect, you know, if you're a KU or lower school that's not your Alabama's that's going to get these four or five star recruits, go out and get these defensive linemen who, like, he's six foot two, right? Like, he's not going to be popping up super high on lists if he was six three or six four. Maybe he'd be ranked another 500 spots higher or something like that, right? And you can kind of find these diamonds in the roughs by uh, rough by all accounts. Seems like a very good athlete. I saw a video that Michael Swain from Fog.net posted on his Twitter account of him playing basketball and he's like doing a Euro step and weaving between defenders at his size. So clearly has some good agility and athleticism. Seems like a good little pickup for KU. But once again, KU camp beginning today, this is when things start to feel and get real young freshmen who you might know, you might not know about, you might be high on, you might not be high on are going to come in. They're either going to make an impression. They're going to struggle as is the same with other newcomers who are transfers, which especially becomes pertinent now in the day of the transfer portal being so prominent, and especially with how KU 
kind of raided the transfer portal from their end. You have position battles and figuring out who's outperforming expectations, who's going to start to, you know, uh, I, I guess kind of emerge among things that we maybe didn't know. And they're going to have these evaluations each and every day. And we're not going to have all that right away. This is just the first day. But as this goes on, we're going to get some more, you know, nuggets and, and notes and what whatnot. Um, and then you have the questions of, like I said, with Lorenzo McCaskill not being here. Like you have him and, and other guys where it's like, yeah, you brought him in to upgrade the talent there, and maybe he will be the most talented or, or mix of talented experience on the team. But as far as those newcomers go, and it doesn't just apply to him, how will they make that jump to a new system, new scheme, you know, new conference, uh, jump in competition, like all those things, right? So I kind of want to break down as we get into this, as we're at the beginning of everything here, all the position battles that could be had. And I want to go through every position and just kind of talk about, like, is there a battle? What would the battle be? Those sorts of things. Um, and yes, like, technically, every position is wide open for battle. There is no real starter. Part of it is just, I think, coach speak a little bit. Part of it is legitimately wanting uh, the spirit of competition and, and not wanting to guarantee everything because you don't want guys getting complacent. You also don't want guys, if they're not named the starter and they're the backup, to check out, whether that would be transferring away, whether that would just be not giving maybe as good of an effort as if they thought that the position is open, right? So there are actual reasons why, like it is sort of coach speak, but it also sometimes coach speak is coach speak because for a reason, because you know, it works and, and it's something that, you know, makes sense. Like cliches are there for a reason, right? Um, but here are, here are the position battles by position. Let's start with the quarterback, obviously. Lance Leipold actually spoke about this with Jalen Daniels being the starter in week one. Everybody's going to compete. Yeah. Do I expect Jalen to start game one? Uh, yeah, I would. But, my, but you know, I, I thought Jason Bean had a good day today, and I, and I know there's some throws right off the bat Jalen wish he had back today. So, um, you know, so if you want to type right now, Leipold expects uh, Daniels to be the starter, go ahead and type it. Yeah, so basically what he's saying there is that, yeah, it's still technically an open competition, and if Jason Bean goes off the rest of the way and Jalen Daniels struggles, um, it's still open, right? But based on those comments, and that even goes back to media day when he was like, well, is Jalen the, the starting quarterback? He was, you know, um, I don't know, like uh, Devin Neal isn't even, I haven't even told him he's a starter. Like that was kind of a, a wink and a nod to the idea that, yeah, Jalen Daniels still has work to do. He still has to prove that he's the guy, but this is like a 90%, a 99% chance it feels like that Jalen Daniels starts. So that's not really the real competition I want to talk about here. I, I don't even know if there's a there would be a competition for the backup spot, to be completely honest. I think Jason Bean probably has that pretty locked in. I think the the position battle you'd have for quarterback probably is with third string. You have Ben Easters, who redshirted last year. You have Ethan Vasco, true freshman, coming in. And I don't know, maybe if Ethan Vasco, like it, it seems like there's been a lot of possible hype and idea that he could be a really... Uh, high potential quarterback for KU down the road. 
So maybe we get to the point where we're talking about Vasco, maybe even creeping up into that second string. But I'm not really expecting that to where I feel like the quarterback position is kind of more set. Jalen Daniels is the one, Jason Bean at the two, and then that battle for third string between like Vasco and Easters and whoever else like that is where the battle is, which I'm not going to spend ton of time uh, necessarily talking that, which is very refreshing, right? Normally, we go into a KU football season. We get to this point in the year. Who's going to be the quarterback? Does it have to be one guy? Right. I'm so glad we're not having those conversations this year. Okay, running back. Again, this one is a little bit more set. Like, Devin Neal is the guy. I think Kai Thomas will probably get around the same amount of, like, production that Devin Neal has. So, I think that's just kind of set. Um the only thing that I'm really looking for here, and this is less of a like quote unquote position battle, is like what roles do Savion Morrison and Daniel Highshaw carve out? Right? It's less about where does this stack up? Who's the blah blah? Who's you know who's the third string? Who's the fourth string? Because I think Morrison and Highshaw, like in in that vein, where I think Neil and Thomas are clearly your kind of one two in whatever order, in more of a split order. It's really more of a one A and one B in my opinion. I think with that quote-unquote third-string spot, it is less just about, hey, who's better, Savion Morrison or Daniel Hyshaw? Because they're such different players, Daniel Hyshaw is such a powerful running back, Savion Morrison is such a fast and kind of quick gadget player running back, they're different enough that I don't think it comes down to this is the third string. Now, maybe if you had injuries to the top two guys at that point, yes, you you probably got to pick one. But outside of that, it's just, hey, this is the role you're going to be used in, these formations, this down and distance. Uh, this is the role you're going to be used in. And blah, blah, blah. like Savion Morrison is running jet sweeps and catching receiver screens. And Daniel Hyshaw is running on third down and two, right? They're just, it's not about this guy is ahead of him. It's just about the specific roles you're going to have. So again, running back, don't really feel like there's a giant competition there. If you do want to argue, you could say that, oh, could Kai Thomas beat out Devin Neal? But again, Whoever beats out the other, like both of them are going to have very prominent roles in the offense. So it doesn't really matter much. Receiver is a very interesting one um, for the offense and, and just really overall on the team. Like who is going to be the number one on the team? And that, again, is less about the depth chart. Like in, you're going to start two or three receivers. So it's less about are you the the X, the Y, or the Z and more about do you have that connection? Are you going to be the number one guy for Jalen Daniels or maybe even the game planning? I, I think that Luke Grimm, I feel confident he would be the starter in terms of the slot receiver. And given his connection that he's had with Jalen Daniels in games that he's started, I feel like he's my early favorite to end up leading the team in like catches and, and maybe yards. And especially because when you look at the guys who could be on the outside, I think there could be more rotation and whatnot. But that goes in line with there being a position battle here. LJ Arnold has the body for it. And certainly when you see a 6'5 receiver that can run, like that makes you think number one receiver potential. Douglas Emelian has been getting strong reviews so far after transferring from Minnesota. Trevor Wilson, good long ball threat. Showed some good flashes last year. Stephen McBride, we saw a little bit of last year, mostly on just receiver screens that most often didn't really work. I think he had like 15 catches for like 90 yards. All those guys, I would say, are in competition. So it's it's interesting. I, I, I would say, I guess, I don't know, the 
Because I, I view Arnold and, and Grimm as, as two of the starters. Maybe it's the battle between a million Wilson and McBride for kind of that other spot. But like I said, who can emerge as being your number one receiver? Tight end. Feels like Mason Fairchild and Trevor Cardell coming back are going to have that locked down. Tavita Noah, who you bring in from the JUCO ranks, that's kind of in line with more of a, he fits a certain role. He's known as being a really good blocker that he'll come in for those situations. This one's interesting, though, because, I mean, first of all, you have the the dark horse here in Will Huggins, who was a highly rated recruit for you a couple years ago. Now he's headed into year three. Does he break out? But I think the biggest part of this is, is where does Jared Casey slot in? Because Jared Casey was, you know, comes in as a walk-on and has the big Texas performance. And it wasn't just, hey, this was a cool moment for him. That led to real playing time. That led to real opportunities from there. He ended up being, you know, one of your best pass catchers the next two weeks against West Virginia and TCU to where it wouldn't be impossible if, I, I guess I would put it this way, like between Mason Fairchild and Jared Casey, like maybe that is a real battle for the number one. You could also convince me Jared Casey's the number three, but he gets used in certain formations. So I do think the tight end group is about as open as you can imagine. I think it's more just about like there are there are legit guys that they have in the tight end group who have shown flashes in certain areas or have shown potential in certain areas that makes me think, and I don't think one is maybe separated from the others, that makes me think there is a real position battle between all those guys there. Offensive line, you feel pretty good about where you are with the starters, Bostick, Reed Adams, Nowitzki, Ford, Cable do. Who's going to win the 6 through 8 spots? Who's going to win the 9 through 10 spots? Really the entire backup offensive line. But typically, you can get by with three good backup offensive linemen because most of them are going to be able to play multiple positions. So right now, maybe DK Stearns, Nolan Gorsica, uh, Dorian Daniels, like those would be the ones that pop out. Um, but that's kind of the position battle there. Like who's going to win out? on the offensive line. Defensive line, I've been high on Caleb Sampson being kind of a breakout guy. That would mean if if he is one of the starters and secures one of those spots, you're down to one starting spot between Keenan Caldwell, Eddie Wilson, Sam Burt, and Ronald, Ronald McGee. Uh, that's going to be a really good competition for the second spot. Now, realistically, we know with the defensive line, guys are going to get tired. You're going to rotate different players. So they're all going to play, but who is going to win that spot for the starter? Linebacker, McCaskill, still hasn't arrived. Maybe that opens up an opportunity for another starting spot. And I think all three of the linebacker positions are wide open. I would be a little surprised if Craig Young wasn't one of the starters because of just the pure athleticism that he brings your defense and flexibility to play a guy who can both cover and defend the run. But what if he's one of those guys where it's like, you know, it's taking a little longer to adjust to the new scheme in the playbook and he doesn't start week one, he ends up starting by week three. Wouldn't be, I guess, totally shocking, although I, I do feel like he would be a starter. But especially with McCaskill out here, I mean, you're talking about guys who return, guys who could possibly break out, like a Taiwan Berryhill, the transfers you brought in, right? Eric Gilliard, and uh, I mentioned Craig Young, Lorenzo McCaskill. Like, you have a lot of players competing for those spots at the linebacker position. That That is probably going to be the one with the most competition just because – you have so many bodies, so many guys for those three spots. And then in the defensive back room, like Kenny Logan, he's a starter. I think Marvin Grant is going to be the starter, but I do think it open enough competition that O.J. Burroughs is going to have a chance to beat out Marvin Grant. 
And we'll get more to our safety preview. We still have to do that. We'll do that on tomorrow's show. As far as the corners we previewed yesterday, um, Jarrett Paul, you know, Jacoby Bryant, Cameron Dabney, Romello Dotson, Kalen Gervin. That's five corners for two spots, and I don't really think we have a clear indication which one has the edge right now. So a lot of competition at certain spots, but it's funny because normally the spot that has the most competition or the one that everybody's asking about the quarterback is not actually one of those, while there is called this competition at these other positions. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, we'll share some Lance Lightbolt audio for you. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN. Joined now by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. We talked a little last week about RCST Trivia, which is going to start up at four o'clock and Matt's guy Ryan Goodwin who is ranked number one is going later today now um, obviously how we do this we record it earlier in the day before the show so uh, I don't know if he's already told you the result or not but you know obviously the listeners don't know what happened or you know whether positive or negative do you know the result of his matchup though yet Matt oh good question I do not Um, there was a little bit of action on the text thread but I didn't get to all of it and I don't think it was about that so um but you know I like I said I didn't skim it all some of me just wants to be surprised and you know it's like watching a real game you want to you want to sit down with your your beverage and your snacks and get ready for the game so I am uh I'm eager to see how it goes and you know this is nice because unlike the the March Madness one you know even if he falls flat lays an egg today he's not done yet i mean it it wouldn't be a good start for the top seed and the prohibitive favorite but you still aren't dead in the water yet so i'm i'm eager to see how it goes and uh you can bet uh he'll be hearing from me okay okay well uh we're looking forward to that i i know this is about a week old before we get into some ku football stuff but uh last week this happened after your appearance i think it was on wednesday or thursday Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov made some interesting comments and pretty defensive comments, I think to say the least, about the Pac-12, especially against kind of the Big 12. What did you kind of make of of those comments and where the Big 12 is at as far as this, I don't know, like realignment or what conferences are secure right now kind of goes? Uh, Yeah, I mean, two things. Number one, I think that George had to say something, right? I mean, he couldn't just get up there and and bury his head in the sand and act like, you know, he's oblivious. And so he had to say something. And when you figure that he had to say something that at least paints the picture of being in a position of strength or confidence, then uh, his comments aren't that surprising. Now, that doesn't mean they're accurate. It doesn't mean that that he didn't look like a clown when he was saying it. But, you know, I've scoured the Internet. I've been all over Twitter. I mean, People bought it. Pac-12 people 
bought it and liked hearing what he said and how strong he was. And, and I think the rest of the world thought he looked like a fool and uh, was maybe a little desperate and a little bit, um, yeah, defensive, like you said, but also just naive maybe. Um, and time will tell if any of that's accurate. It, it doesn't really um, – There's you know, still ongoing. We don't know what the outcome is going to be, and we might not know for several weeks, months, even years. Um, but – I didn't. I didn't like what I didn't like in particular, and and I wrote about this. I mean, I I wrote that he looked desperate and defensive, and um, but what I really didn't like was that that he tried to you know kind of play both sides of the fence here. He tried to sit up there and whine and cry about the, the you know the, the 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 gentlemanship or what did he say collegiality of college athletics is gone now and it's such a shame and and blah blah blah. Well, if you're worried about that, then stop taking shots at other conferences and other commissioners and, and don't contribute to that. I, I thought that, as much as anything, made him look really weak and petty. And uh, it's fine if he feels that way, but you sure as heck better back it up. And and uh, he didn't do that. He, In fact, he walked it back. I mean, he even said, well, that wasn't even the most you know cordial thing I've ever seen either so blah 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 you know it just it just seemed like he he was uh overwhelmed i i can't say he wasn't ready for the moment because he knew for uh, the better part of a week a month who knows that that you know once pack 12 media day rolled around he was gonna have to have to talk about some of this stuff so he should have been prepared but i thought he uh his strategy and and his approach was um you know, pretty weak, really. I, I, I think you have enough time. You, you could have come up with a better, a better plan uh, of how to, to use that to your benefit, maybe spin it a little bit and whatever. And, and, you know, I thought Brett Yormark at Big 12 Media Day, even though he hadn't started yet, I, I thought he, he handled it great. I mean, he, he addressed everything directly. He, uh, he didn't take shots at anybody, but he also made it very clear that he's, um, ready to roll and, and ready to leave the Big 12 and, and take it wherever it needs to go and, and willing to consider all options. And, and, you know, he, he just stayed a little more in his lane and, and stayed a little more, uh, you know, away from taking those shots at, at people unnecessarily. So part of it could have been that, you know, that George was last right in, in line and, and all the other commissioners had already spoken. And, and so maybe the calendar just got him and he would have been different if he would have gone in, in early July instead of late July. But either way, it, it, it came across pretty weak. And, uh, I, I think some of the PAC 12 people bought it, but they're probably wearing their PAC 12 colored glasses and, you know, don't want to face reality at the moment. The reality is the conference is in trouble and, uh, you know, we don't know what that means exactly. It could mean total extinction. It could to- mean, you know, a couple of defections, and, and it could mean anything in between there, too. So time will tell, um, but but it does seem like he should have been more upset with maybe the Big Ten or the SEC or even ESPN, right? I mean, it, for him to just go attack the Big 12 seemed a little bit soft. I'm talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, and you can read more about that in an article that he wrote at KUSports.com. Uh, we did talk a little last week uh, off your trip to Iowa and some sports betting stuff with, you know, the over-under for KU being set at two and a half. Um, if, I, if I asked you kind of a, in that same ilk, like, to give me the three most likely win totals for KU. So, like, most likely is three wins. Second most likely is two wins. Third most likely is five or whatever you think. How would you rank that out? What do you think the three most likely win scenarios are for KU? 
wow, that's tough. Um, I haven't thought about it too much uh, other than maybe the Vegas number, which we did talk about last week. Um, you know, I would say two and three are probably at the top. Um, and, and so, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's give each of those 40%. I don't know that, I don't know that the number's two and a half. So I don't know that I feel incredibly strongly either way enough to, to put one ahead of the other. Um, if I had to, I would probably go 41% for two and, 39% 39% for three, something like that. And that leaves me 20%. Um, but gosh, man, I, I, you know, I, I think I'd have to go with one um, as the next most likely before I go to four. Um, and that's, I know that's not a real wide range. That's one, two, and three, but um, I can't see zero and four is hard to see. And five is in my opinion, not even on the table. So um I think it leaves you at one, two, three, and then it's just whatever order you think. So I would say two, just barely ahead of three, and then and then uh, one after that. But um, you know, I, I, having said that, I, I don't think that people should be discouraged by that. I don't think that you know, and I know they will, but I don't think that that necessarily means oh, another crappy year coming up or anything like that. I mean, um, they could win three games. And and it could be a really good year. Uh, there's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of talent that's been brought in. There there there's a lot of competition and and improvement in all of the position rooms. And it's just now a matter of finding out how much and how quickly they can put it all together um, to get them ask them to do that in one year and then go produce a a, a really respectable win total is hard to do. I think I, I think it's just. Um, not realistic. So for the fans out there that are, that are, you know, going crazy pie in the sky about bowl games and all that, I, I mean, it's just not there. Um, you know, I think they could go crazy and have a, a, an incredible year and still maybe top out at four wins. I mean, right. That's just, uh, that's just where they're at. It's going to take time, but, but they are making steps in the right direction. And, and, and I think as long as they can continue the momentum that they've kind of built here early on, um, if, if they improve as much from from year two to year three as they did one to two and then three to four and four to five, I mean, you know, it, it won't be very long before they are in that conversation. But I don't think they're there yet. So I, I think if your head takes you above three, um, you're probably dreaming just a little bit. But um, but but like I said, fours fours, you can really squint and maybe find four. Um, but gosh, after that, if you're up above that, you're you're probably you're probably out of uh, out in Dreamville or something like that. But but I, yeah, I'd go I'd go two three one. See, I'm actually so I I would probably go the three and the two. I would I'd probably switch them. But I I do agree those would be the two most likely. I actually do think four is more likely than one. And I don't know if that's I don't know. It's it, you won two last year. You brought in all this new talent. You had a bunch of young players i'm not saying it's going to turn into a bowl game or anything but don't right, you, right, right. don't you think that would be a little and, and i know that that wasn't the question i asked if it would be disappointing or not but if they only win one game which would less than last year when you had a, a full year of actual offseason work with the new coaches and all that infused talent don't you think like i'm, I'm not saying anybody would be fired or, or anything like that like we know this is a long process but don't you think that'd be very disappointing for the fan base oh Oh well, for everyone. Yeah. I mean, Travis Goff and Lance Leipold would be very disappointed. Uh, I, I mean, I, 
I think that's the one thing that can't happen. You know, they, they've got to find a way to do better than that. And, um, you know, uh, because it, it becomes really hard to sell after that if you, if you can't, if you can't do better than that. And, and it's not fair. It's not their fault. Um, they didn't dig this hole. Uh, it's not their fault that, that people have been asking the fan base to be patient for a decade now with no return. I mean, you know, that, that's the hard part for, for them because, they're in year two, and year two is still pretty new into a rebuild. So you should be given some time to breathe, and and, and uh, in most circumstances that's the case. But um, when you just look at the cumulative effect of what Kansas fans have been through the last 10, 12 years, it's, it, 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 it's hard to ask them to, to give any more or to care anymore if you don't do better than that. So, yeah, I think it would be really disappointing. And, and um, you know, I, I don't – I don't think you're crazy about four at all. Um, and I'll tell you what, if you can get to four, then, then yeah, I mean, that would be, that would be as big for the program as, as losing or, or winning just one game would be as bad for the program. I mean, if you can, because we know it hasn't happened since, what, 2009, um, that, that, that would be incredible. If, if in his second year he says, oh, watch this, I'll get to four. Well, all of a sudden, your your expectations and your 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 juice and your hope and all those things for next season, twenty twenty three, they go through the roof. And and maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. We'll figure that out when we get there. But um, but if they could put up four this year, that would be a massive statement. Um, and and I don't think it's impossible or crazy to look at. I just think the schedule does them no favors. I mean, when, when you got to go to West Virginia and Houston on the road, you know, after one tune-up game that, that shouldn't be much of a game, um, that's tough. That's really tough. I think their best-case best, best case scenario in both of those games is if you can just go be competitive in either of those games, uh, that could build something for the rest of the season. But if, uh, if you go and lose them, um, nobody's going to be really surprised. But, but it certainly turns that Duke game into a must-win when you come back home. Um, because after that, it's all Big 12 the rest of the way. And, and uh, yeah, you know how tough it is for this program to find Big 12 wins right now. But uh, they are gaining on it. There is more talent. And, to me, it really is just a matter of how quickly it all comes together. Um, and if you're, a, if you're a four or five win type of guy, then you're obviously believing it will come together pretty quickly. And uh, I, I think, for me, it just – it just has to fall into that category of I got to see it before I before I you know bank on it um, because the talent's there the the positions have been upgraded in a lot of ways there's a lot to like about the roster um, but but that's you know that's still that's still it's one thing to like the roster it's another to go out and execute and win games and and do that with that roster so it'll be really interesting though and and you know today was the first day of fall camp uh, which I just violated my own cardinal sin I, I i can't stand when it's called fall camp so i call it preseason <laughs> camp uh it's not fall at all it's uh, two degrees yeah so it's summer um i know tradition says it's fall camp but well, if you say I've summer started... camp it sounds like they're you know their parents are dropping them off somewhere at a lake you know yeah i write preseason <laughs> camp yeah i write preseason because that's what it is right i mean there's a month before the first game that's the preseason and and it's uh that that clearly defines where we're at. We're in the preseason here. So, uh, but anyway, it started today. Uh, you know, Lance was great. A lot of energy. 
Um, he likes his team, and and I think you know he he has hope and expectations for uh, for things to be much better right out right out of the gate. I mean, he said today that um, as deep as two or three weeks into camp last year, they were still just evaluating instead of putting you know things in and game planning and prepping and things like that. And and this year they're not going to have to do that. I, I think one of the best quotes he gave today was you know that. We know what we have with our players now, and uh, and he knows that this group is determined and excited, and that's all great. But you got to go out and perform, and if you don't do that, it doesn't matter as much. But but I thought that was a that was a, an encouraging sign from him, and and uh, you'd sure rather your your head football coach sound excited and like his roster than than be worried about it like he was a little bit last year. So um, day one, uh, and and it's go time. Uh. Any parting words uh, before I let you go here for Ryan Goodwin and his uh, upcoming trivia matchup in season? The the parting words. So the other good quote that Lance gave today actually came from uh, strength coach Matt Gildersleeve, and it's it's one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard. He said, "No one, no one came here to play weightlifting. <laughs> uh, you know, you came here to play football, and now it's time to go do it." And and I would say that to to Ryan Goodwin, even though he you know he certainly doesn't look like he lifts any weights or anything anymore. Um, <laughs> But it's time to go play. It's it, this is you know. There's no more studying. There's no more like I hope I get a good draw or maybe I catch a break or maybe Derek likes me enough and I can ask he can ask me a couple of easy questions. You know, like uh, something about Tony Pearson. I, you know, I don't know. But but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the questions are. It doesn't matter who your opponent is. It's time to go play football now and and do what you got to do. So. Uh, I'm sure everybody's going to be listening. There should be a lot of excitement around his matchup and, and all of his matchups. He is the overwhelming favorite. I mean, that's, that's why people want to see him uh, compete, because he has, uh, he has put his money or his mouth there for years now as the, the definitive and, and unquestioned, all things knowledgeable about KU football type of guy, and, and now he's got a chance to go show it. So let's see it. Time to play football. No more lifting weights. All right. Well, I heard the line is Ryan minus two and a half. So who are you taking? Oh, I take him. I take him. Okay. Yeah, that's not too bad. That's uh, you know, uh, I, you know, and, that, and that's no disrespect to his opponent. I don't know anything about today's opponent. What He's ranked he number two. One? He scored a perfect twenty-four points last week. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Reevaluating. Well, you still want the? No, I'll still take him. Okay. I, I feel like Loyal. sometimes those things, you know, they they they. Uh, they, they kind of even out, right? So if the guy was 24 last week, uh, you know, he's, he's maybe due for a 10 or something this week. He'd still be averaging high teens. There's nothing wrong with that. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I think Ryan needs to worry more about himself and less about his opponents. Just go out and play your game. It's sort of Bill Belichickian, right? Do your job, and it takes care of everything else. If you blow it, then you blow it. But, but that can't be the reason you lose. So I'm excited to hear this. And, uh, yeah, I, love, I, I told you this last week. I'll probably tell you this next week too. I love the format. I think it's, I think it's really cool. I think it brings a lot of excitement to an already exciting time because, uh, unlike basketball, unlike baseball, unlike even freaking hockey and whatnot, you know, there's just there's just such a long wait when the football season ends. I mean, it's been eight months and uh, and it's uh, right around the corner now. So exciting times, whether it's. Uh, KU fans or Chiefs fans or NFL fans or fantasy football fans or whatever it is, it's uh, this is one of the best times of the year. 
He is Matt Tate. Check out his work, KUSports.com, in the LJ world, and uh, that trivia matchup coming up here in just a little bit. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. Yes, sir, and, and I say it's one of the best times of the year, but it is summer. Nobody forgets that. <laughs> it is summer. Correct. This is not fall. <laughs> summer. So yeah. enjoy it, and treat it like summer. Let's keep rolling. But, yeah, thanks, Derek. Have fun, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right, that is Matt Tate, LJ World, KUSports.com. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. One hour down. Two to go, RCST Trivia next. We're going to have one matchup before we get to Ryan Goodwin taking on Blake Farrell in the 1-2 matchup. That on the other side. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the National Championship, they released a National Championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. First trivia matchup of the day between Justin Nichols and Brad Wandell out of the Tuesday division here. Justin ranked seventh, dropped a little bit from where he was last week. He scored 17 points, but he lost because his opponent put up a perfect 24 points. Brad, meanwhile, got the victory. It was 3-3 at the end of regulation. You came through with a big clutch victory in overtime there getting up to nine points, so you're 1-0, Justin's 0-1. Justin, I'll start with you here. Uh, you know, losing that first matchup when you still put up a good performance, um, does it make it feel better or does it make it feel worse? Uh, I mean, it's good to know that I've – I know some of the questions at least, so that that was good, but, uh, you know, it would it would have been nice to have a win. You're, you, Herm Edwards says, you know, you play the game to win, right? So – so I uh, I would have liked to have gotten a win out of it. Yeah, well, Brad, um, it took you overtime to get the victory last week. Have have you thought about your overtime strategy at all? Did you like what you did? What would you do if you were on the flip side? Because you went first there and answered the medium question. If you were going second and the first person answered the medium as you did, what would you have done? Uh, if they went medium or higher, I think it would have gone for the tie. Yeah, keep it going first into double OT. That's that's all yep. part of the strategy there. Okay, so um, now, if they went for the easy, I probably would have gone for a medium for the win, but yeah, everything else would have gone for a tie. Makes sense. Well, um, Justin, I think I had you uh, as the home team last week flipping a coin. So Brad, I will have or, or give you the option here of uh, choosing heads or tails on this quarter. It is a Maya Angelou quarter from uh, I don't know. It's very shiny. Twenty twenty two, brand new quarter. Look at me. Uh, so Brad, do you want heads or tails? Let's go, Tails. All right. It is Tails. So, that gives you the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go first, I guess. Okay. So, into the first quarter of play. These are worth three points into the easy round of things. All right. First up for you, Brad. What KU quarterback holds the record for most career passing touchdowns with 90 of them? Uh, is that Cadle? Correct answer is Todd Reesing. Todd Reesing. Oh, 
that's a horrible miss. All right, Justin. What KU quarterback holds the record for most career 400-yard passing games? Uh, Todd Reesing. Yes, that is correct. Couple Todd Reesings there. He's usually the answer on the uh, all-time passing questions, but you still got time to make that up, Brad. Or it's yep. only you know three nothing. It's not where the thing is decided, at least usually. Okay, into the medium round. Back to you, Brad. Rumored as an a- athletic director candidate recently at KU before they hired Travis Goff, this Jayhawk linebacker wore the number five and was third on the 2005 Bullbound Jayhawks in total tackles with 76. What's his name? Nick Reed. No, the correct answer is Banks Floodman. Banks Floodman. Banks Floodman. He was uh, rumored as a, an AD candidate. I don't know how true or, or how real any of that was, but there were certainly things floating around there. Okay, for you, Justin, to try to take a 9-0 lead into halftime. Rumored as a KU coaching candidate recently before they hired Lance Leipold, this Jayhawk linebacker wore the number 45 and was second on that 2005 team in total tackles with 79 of them. Kevin Kane. That is correct. Kevin Kane, currently working as a, I don't know if he's still at Illinois, but that's where he was. He's like an assistant coach there. It's rumored, I, again, I don't know to, to how much that was actually a, a real possibility, but um, ended up sticking around over there. All right, nine nothing. You lead it, Justin. So Brad, you got to uh, hit this to to stay alive for the win. This worth seven points into the third quarter in the hard round. Brad, for you, what is the name of the KU punter who set the school record in 2013 for most punts in one season with 84 of them? Honor most punts in one season. Most recent one I can remember is Kyle Thompson. As far as one back, I can remember off the top of my head. Um, Ten seconds. That Kyle Thompson. I don't remember. Correct answer is Trevor Pardula. Does that name ring a bell? It rings a bell now, yeah, but I wasn't going to get it. Uh, Trevor Pardulo for Heisman. I'll always remember those days. Okay, uh, so Justin, you have secured the win, but obviously, as, as I've mentioned before, points still matter, so you want to add up points for, for both you guys for tiebreaker purposes. So, Justin, this one to you. This KU punter came just one punt short of that record that Trevor Pardula set, doing so in 2017 with 83 of them. What's his name? I am not well educated on punters. <laughs> um, was that a. Uh, 10 seconds. Curtis Ansel? Correct answer is Cole Moose. Cole Moose with 83 of them to go with Trevor Pardula. All right, so 9 nothing the score. We head into the fourth quarter. Again, this for, uh, for pride, for tiebreaker points for you, Brad. Taking over for Fog Allen was what KU head coach who led the team from 1921 to 1925, going 16-7-6? Hmm. 
Dr. Bog Allen. Uh, Ten uh, seconds. A.R. Kennedy. <laughs> Correct answer is Potsy Clark. Potsy Definitely Clark. Not. Yeah, there are a lot of coaches that, you know, I don't know, just aren't really known in Cave football history. Okay, uh, this to you, Justin, to uh, get up to 17 points for the second straight week. Who was KU's head coach from 1928 to 1932, combining to go 22, 18, and 2? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so... What, what, what were the years again? 1928 to 1932. 10 seconds. Um, was, it the, was it Hargis? Is that a guy? That is correct. Bill Hargis. The correct answer there. Uh, Justin, I, I mean, that, that didn't impact the, the result of the game, but that is quite the hit at the end there, and, and those points can end up mattering. That could end up being the difference of you going to the playoff, making a bowl game, something like that. How did you come up with that answer there? Uh, I, I looked earlier today uh, at uh, football reference at all of our coaches, and uh, you'd asked me a question last week about guys that had more than 40 wins, and so I thought that you might ask about guys that had more than 20 at some point, <laughs> and he was the oldest one that I remembered. So uh, it was just uh, I I got lucky basically. That's great, and that was that was utilizing the the rules to your favor. I don't know if you knew the full name, but you know that's part of the rules. Last name will suffice, obviously with exceptions. If it's you know Johnson or Smith, or if there's players or coaches with the same last name, I need clarification. But that was a perfect use of the rules there. So Brad, um, back to the drawing board on offense in this one. You got shut out here. What happened? Oh, big time. Uh, I mean, Justin's clearly a leg up on me on this, but missing the recent one, that's going to that's gonna bother me all week, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, like you said, back to the drawing board. I'll have to go through a few things and come back stronger next week. It won't take much. Well, Justin, I think you're two for two on the really hard question so far. You came into this thing wondering if, you know, you didn't want to embarrass yourself. You were wondering if you didn't have enough KU football trivia knowledge. I, I think you're you're – you know, putting yourself in uh, a pretty good category here. I, I feel more confident now than I did coming into it, for sure. Um, apparently, having a lot of worthless knowledge in your brain does pay off once in a while. So, yeah, it does. Well, guys, I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you both next week. So, good luck in the uh, future matchups. All Thanks, right, have a good one. Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's tough for Brad, man. Get shut out. Um, yeah, just. Uh, Tough stuff, tough stuff, right? Um, but he'll have an opportunity to bounce back next week, and that's the beauty. You know, both of them have a one-in-one -one record. So you have one bad week? Who cares? Get them next week, right? For Justin, one-in-one, -one, but 34 points through two matchups. It's tough because he's got Blake in his division. Also, Ryan, who that's going to be our next matchup. That's where college game day is this week. Number one versus number two, and Ryan Goodwin against Blake Farrell. Um but because you have so many really good trivia players in this Tuesday division, if you're Justin, even though you lost that first one to Blake, like if you went out, you go three and one, you keep getting 17 points for every matchup that you play in. Like there's a there's a good chance that you end up winning some tiebreakers, right? Um, so 
Good job to Justin. Continues to be a powerhouse. Finished third in the basketball edition of RCST Trivia and uh, now really making some noise once again on the football side of things. Coming up next, though, we do have that great matchup. Blake Farrell, who scored 24 points, one of two to score 24 last week, along with Aaron Mayer. He's ranked second in our poll. Ryan Goodwin has yet to go. He is our preseason number one and current number one. He's been hyped up by Matt Tate, but he's also said, you know, with we're ready to kind of be disappointed by Ryan. So uh, we'll see which uh, end of the spectrum we end up on. This is RCST Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, and Jayhawk Trophy. Thank you to all our sponsors. Thank you to you for listening. We'll be back for the second matchup after this timeout. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. This is the college game day matchup of the week. We've got number one. Verse number two in our RCST top 10. Number two is Blake Farrell, 1-0, perfect 24 points in the first week of questions. Ryan Goodwin is our preseason number one. He maintained that spot despite being in a week one bye last week. Uh, so, Ryan, I'll start with you. This is your first matchup. Uh, do, do you feel extra pressure having that number one next to your name and, and you know having your first matchup have to be against uh, another really good opponent in Blake? Um, I don't necessarily feel the pressure just because preseason ranking usually don't mean much. Um, a lot of teams get overrated in the preseason, much like I think I got overrated here, <laughs> uh, especially after hearing Blake's matchup last week. Uh, and and I, I learned, too, you know, a lot of this from the basketball side, it, it's all how the questions break. You know, um, this year in basketball in the Sweet 16, now I got eliminated uh, against, I believe, Eric Hansen was the yep. runner-up. And if the questions fell differently in that round, even though I was the lesser player, I actually would have won that matchup. So uh, it's, it's just going to be a fun thing to do. And, uh, you know, I, Blake, I know Blake's a great opponent. I heard him last week. He, he's ready to go. Well, and Ryan, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. At this point, like, is he still a friend? Because he's been he's been lobbing, uh, you know, pressure-packed and, and, you know, I don't know, things at you. But Matt Tate uh, has definitely put even more pressure and and you know, uh, has kind of amplified things on, on your end here. Do you have any any word for uh, for Matt Tate? Uh, that was my study partner last week a little bit. So uh, I just hope I have a lot better luck in this matchup than we had on our uh, trip to Iowa. So, All right. Well, Blake, uh, like I mentioned, you soared up. I don't even remember. I don't think you were ranked last week. And then you move up all the way to number two. And you went 24 points, perfect 24 on your matchup there, um, have you done anything extra to get ready from from one week to the next year? Uh, not really. Just kind of looking over media guide and stuff like that, and just kind of hoping I get the right questions again, because that's what it's really all about. Yeah, you get the right questions, you can knock them out. But if not, it can be a it can be a long day. So, well, and I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to make any promises because other things can happen. But it's. You know, you're number two. You're playing number one. If you win this matchup, like there's a very good chance you end up number one on the the poll next week. Is that a thought in your mind at all? No, I just got to take it week by week. So, all right. Well, this is uh, a tough division with the Tuesday division. We had Justin go earlier. Who you played in week one? He's in the top ten. You two are top two. It's the college game day. Uh, I'm not sure who Lee Corso picked as far as this one goes, but it was very creepy when he put on one of your guys' heads over his head. <laughs> um, so, Ryan, this will be your uh, home opener to start the season. So I have a quarter here, and you have the option of heads or tails. I'll call heads. All right. 
It is heads. So you have the choice if you want to go first or want to go second. I'll go first. All right. I'm going to get it right off the bat for your first question. Blake, that means you're up second. We'll start in the first quarter of play. These worth three points. First up for you, Ryan. The most wins that KU has ever posted in a season was the 2007-2008 season in which they won how many games? 12. That's correct. 12 games. They won 11 and then won the Orange Bowl at the beginning of 2008 to give them number 12. So, Ryan, you hit your first one. Blake, you're still perfect on questions. Let's see if it continues. This worth three in the first quarter. Blake, the most wins KU has ever had in conference play was in that same season in 2007 when they won how many Big 12 games? Would have been seven. That is correct. A little tricky there because now the Big 12 season is nine, so I don't know if that was what was tripping you up there, but they had the one loss to Missouri, so that gets you to seven. All right, so three to three, the score into the second quarter. Back to you, Ryan. This one for six. Name this Jayhawk receiver who was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in the fifth round of the 2010 NFL Draft. Terry Meyer. That is right. Gary Meyer was drafted in the fifth round after having a uh, great career at Kansas. All right, you go up 9-3. to three. Blake, your chance to tie it here. Another Jayhawk was drafted, this time in the 2008 NFL Draft following the Orange Bowl season. He was drafted in the sixth round by the New York Jets. What's his name? Marcus Henry. Yep. I think sometimes we get caught up in like, oh, that, you know, you think of Desmond Briscoe and Kerry Meyer and the great seasons uh, or careers that they had at KU. But it was actually Marcus Henry who was the uh, top dog at receiver for that Orange Bowl team with those guys kind of adding to it. All right, 9-9 nine to nine the score. We head into the second half of play in our number one versus number two matchup. Back to you, Ryan. Ranking second among KU linebackers all-time for tackles with 416 of them Doing so from 2002 to 2005 was who? Nick Reed. That's right, Nick Reed. I always thought of him as kind of like a linebacker safety hybrid. I don't know, more of a linebacker though, but uh, he was a stud for KU. Is the correct answer. Big seven points for you there. You take a 16-9 lead over Blake. Chance to tie it for you here, Blake, before we head into the fourth quarter. Nicknamed the Butcher, this KU safety led the Jayhawks. Carl in- Smith. <laughs> right there with the nickname. That That is seriously, that is one of the, the best nicknames that you could give a safety. The Butcher, are you kidding me? That was, uh, I think it was Jim Scherer. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but favorite player that he gave me. Uh, yeah. Full question there was led the Jayhawks in interceptions, kickoff return yards in 1999 and interceptions in 2000. But the butcher is the big one there. Carl Naismith, correct. All right, we're tied 16 to 16, headed into the fourth quarter of play. Exciting stuff here. All right, Ryan, for you in the really hard round. The 1947 Kansas team made the 1948 Orange Bowl. Their quarterback 
William Hogan, at least one of their quarterbacks, I should say, was nicknamed what? Willie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not a bad guess, right? Uh, The correct answer is Red. Red Hogan. Okay, this for you, Blake, to stay perfect on questions. Get 24 again and start 2-0. Take down the number one team. The 1947 Kansas team made the 1948 Orange Bowl. Their halfback, Bud French, was nicknamed what? Frenchie. <laughs> Again, not a bad guess. Just throw something out there. The correct answer is Twinkle Toes. Twinkle Toes. The correct answer there. All right, so we're tied 16 all. Those were those were like even harder than really hard. Those were uh those were supremely hard. So that brings us into overtime. I gave you the first coin flip, Ryan. I'm gonna give Blake the second coin flip. So Blake, do you want heads or tails? Give me heads. All right. It is tails. So Ryan. You now have the option. Do you want the first choice in overtime or the second question? I'll go second. Okay. So it switches up the order. Blake, you're up first here in our first overtime. We're tied 16-16. So, Blake, um, you have the the choice of what category you want to answer questions in. Um, And obviously then Ryan will have the option of trying to match it trying to beat it or if you miss the question ryan will just have to answer an easy question to get it uh right in advance so what would you like to answer blake three categories right uh easy medium hard really hard worth three six seven and eight points so you got four choices i'll go hard okay hard it is for you blake what kansas player is second on the career passing touchdown list, trailing only Todd Reesing with his 37 total of them. Let's go Frank Sire. Carter Stanley is the correct answer there. You wouldn't really think Carter Stanley because of the career, but just with increased passing and everything, he had 20-something of them his senior year, and there just wasn't as many passing touchdowns to go around for those guys like Frank Sire and some of those old great KU quarterbacks. Okay, so Ryan, uh, what do you want to do here? Do you want to take the chip shot easier, or do you want to try to you know, get a little more points and go to the medium hard or really hard round? Let's kick the field goal. <laughs> I'm waiting. Somebody's going to take me up on that. Somebody is, uh, and that'll be a great day. But uh, this one for you, Ryan, in the easy round for three points in the win. Name a bowl that KU has won outside of the Orange Bowl. Aloha Bowl. Yep, Aloha Bowl. They won it twice. Inside Bowl, Fort Worth Bowl, and the Blue Bonnet Bowl. The correct answer is there. So uh, that's the second time this week that we've had the, the first person in overtime miss the first question. Kind of a, a tough decision for you to have there, Blake, with you know what you do when you go first in overtime. Um, because that's right. If you miss it, it ends up in that situation. But if you would have hit that hard one, that would have made it really difficult for Ryan because then he would have had to go really hard for the win. 
Um, take me through kind of your thought process there of what you decided in the first overtime. I could tell Ryan knew his stuff, so I was afraid if I did a medium, he might do a hard and knock me out anyway. So I went with the hard one and kind of, kind of regret that now, but what can you do? Yeah, I, I mean, there's some strategy involved. I don't think that was necessarily the, the wrong choice to do it, but uh, hypothetically, if you would have taken a medium and Ryan would have got that hard question, uh, Ryan, would you have answered Carter Stanley there or would you have guessed someone else? I actually would have answered Carter Stanley. Okay. Well, well, maybe that makes you feel a little bit better there, Blake, because like you said, Definitely. then he would have got the hard one right. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, you know, Blake, you're still in good spot. 40 points in regulation through the first two matchups. You won your first matchup. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe Justin beats Ryan, and then we get a three-way tiebreaker between all three of you guys with one loss. Everything's still in front of you. Ryan quite the debut you get an overtime victory thoughts on your uh week one performance here uh lucky to get by because blake's good he's real good um just fortunate you know questions fall the way they do sometimes so it's a good matchup blake uh best of luck rest of the way uh and and we'll go from there all right well guys uh good luck on your future matchups and we'll talk to you both next week hey best right, of luck Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Good job, Blake. That was an awesome matchup. That lived up to the billing. We had number one versus number two, right? It's it's college game days in town. It's everything you could want, and it lived up to the billing. We got overtime. Uh, again, the the order of, of overtime. Like, I think if I was a contestant, I would just stick with the medium in overtime and, and make your, your opponent try to beat you because I think, like, if, you, if you're playing out the odds of – how many people get the hard question right? I feel like it's probably less than 50%, maybe around 40%, but I don't I don't know that for sure. I guess I could go back and, and look through it all and, and maybe make a, an analytic decision of, no, you should answer the hard question first because, you know, I don't know if you get this wrong or, or whatever. Um, appreciated the, the chutzpah by uh, Blake to try to get that because if he answers the hard, you know, at that point, it makes it real tough on Ryan, and, and then I don't know what would have happened there, but... Uh, quite the matchup. Blake's still going to have a chance to win the division, to go to a bowl game, because like I said, he wins his next two matchups. Justin beats Ryan or something, and then we get three teams tied at 3-1 and one at the top. Um, obviously, that's that's not even accounting for Brad, who won his first match. Like, you know, um, and obviously don't mean any disrespect to the uh, fifth member of the group in uh, Ryan Schlesner, who could easily win his next three and get involved in this as well. Like, this is a really good division. All five of these people who are in this, know their stuff so anything can still happen at this point which i'm really excited for like maybe this is one of the divisions where two and two wins it and it's just like there's four people tied at two and two or something like that i don't know but that was a really fun uh edition of rcst trivia a really fun day of rcst trivia we have our wednesday division coming up tomorrow once again we are brought to you by 23rd street brewery jayhawk trophy and johnny's tavern with 12 locations from topeka to blue springs this is rock chalk sports talk on fm 1017 and 1320 klwn we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, a little KU football, Big 12 football on the other side. This is RCST. Well, last week, we talked with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, and he took us through the uh, awesome fantasy of KU, how, what it would take, what it would look like for the Jayhawks to get to six wins on the football field. Um, before we get into some more KU football, though, with Kevin today, with the start of camp and everything, I, I do want to talk a, a few recruiting things. Uh, Chris Johnson is announcing tonight 
uh, top 35 recruit when you look at the 24-7 sports composite and ranked a little bit higher in 24-7's rankings of the kid. 2023 combo guard. Seems like KU is kind of the lean right now. What would KU be getting if, if they are able to land Johnson? Well, you know, it, it's funny because I think uh, I think intense would maybe be the, the polite way to describe it. Uh, Bill Self is a coach who he likes his players to have a level of toughness and, and intensity and competitiveness. And you get all that and then some with, with Chris Johnson. And we've seen, you know, Bill Self, in the past, you know, have guys that, that kind of maybe straddled that line a little bit, you know, whether it was the Morris twins, whether it was, you know, somebody like Josh Jackson, uh, and, and Bill Self did, did pretty well with those guys. And I think that Johnson is a talented scorer. You know, most of his scoring, I feel like, comes inside the arc at this point. He's really good at, at getting to the basket. He's got a nice little pull-up. And the other thing is, is because of his size, his strength, and the way that he competes, he does project it as a plus defender and somebody that you can count on on that end of the court. But I do think that a lot of it, it's funny because if you talk to somebody about him, you know, and I even think our our official scouting report, like on our site, says basically that his competitiveness is a is a positive when channeled in the right way or, or something like that. I, I think it all stems from that really. Like when you're talking about what you what you see from him, yes, the skill level is there. Yes, you know, he's a potential multi positional defender. Yes, there are the other things. But I think that that, that drive and competitiveness and intensity is really what jumps out. Yeah, sounds like a uh I don't know, kind of a perfect Bill Self fit, to be completely honest there, when you think about that. Uh, on the football field, Marcus Calvin committed yesterday to KU, class of 2023 defensive tackle. What are kind of your thoughts on, on that pickup there and what that means for the future of the uh, defensive line position for the Jayhawks? Yeah, and I think since the last time we talked, they added Blake Harold as well, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you kind of look at those guys, this in the same light a little bit in that both are going to be defense tackles at, at Kansas. And, and when you look at Harold, he's a guy that just turned 17 the other day and he's six foot four, 245 pounds. He's going to be 290 pounds. And, and you saw a similar sort of age and, and frame and everything with, with DJ Withers, who's now in the program and DJ's listed, I think it's six four two ninety two right now. You know, coming off his redshirt year, and so you see a similar thing with Harold, where he's he's got some pretty good clips out there of him playing linebacker, of him playing tight end, and outrunning some guys and stuff like that. But he's uh, he's going to be bound to be a lot bigger, you know, by the time he finishes up at the University of Kansas. Calvin's a really interesting guy because he's already big, Derek. He's not somebody that that you really have to project a lot of size onto he measured over 300 pounds at a camp this summer and yet he's got some clips where you see him playing basketball and and you know dunking on guys and getting to the basket and showing sort of that little burst I think that's a really good pickup and I'm not sure Kansas is done yet at defensive tackle in this class they sit in a strong spot with with a few other guys and may take a, another one I would guess 
But when you when you look at that group and, and look at Tony Terry, who's probably going to fit into that group as well, defensive tackle is maybe the hardest spot to excuse me to recruit at the University of Kansas. Mark Mangino used to say it was the most difficult to find guys because if they're big and they're good, then there's no hiding them. Everybody knows about them and everybody wants them. And so the odds of getting, say, an Oklahoma-level defensive tackle at the University of Kansas were relatively small. You had to be creative. You had to get smaller guys and sort of build, you know, bulk them up. You had to play different angles to try and get guys. You know, Calvin may fall through the cracks a, a little bit because he's, you know, because he's a little bit of a shorter guy, and, and so that might keep some of the the higher level programs off of him, at least for now, that was what happened with James McClinton back in the two thousands. When you look at him being, you know, right at six foot and, and he goes on and, and winds up being an all American. And so I do think Jim Panagos has done a terrific job in this class. And, and when you, when you look at the defensive tackle position for the future, not just, in this group, but also the tackles they landed, I think, in the class two years ago with Withers and Tommy Dunn, there's really some nice depth being built there in terms of quality young guys that, that could wind up being pretty pretty darn good by the time they finish up. Well, in that same ilk, last week we talked about some of the offensive positions where they kind of stack up in accordance with the rest of the Big 12 teams. Uh, I want to talk some of the defense ones today. And we'll start with that defensive line, uh, which obviously those guys aren't going to be a part of. But you look at the defensive line, there's a lot of five- or, or six-year you know, players on that line. And, and I don't know what to do with that because, you know, on one hand, like obviously if you're playing on the line, you want guys who are physical. You want guys who are physically ready, who have spent time in the program to get their bodies to that Big 12 level. So that's a positive. But also, you know, when I think of, a guy who's returning from his fourth year to his fifth year or from his fifth year to his sixth year, like there's probably not going to be as much of a, a, a jump in, in how good he was from last year to the next year as maybe a guy who's going from first to second year, second to third year. Um, and obviously there are exceptions and everything, but that does make me worry a little bit that, yes, they have the experience and, and maybe the bodies because of that, but also the unit obviously wasn't good enough to be a good defense or to be a good run defense last year. And so if you have a bunch of guys who maybe didn't improve as much, how much improvement can you really bank on? So I guess overall, like, how do you kind of view the defensive line in comparison to maybe some of the other teams in the Big 12? Yeah, I think that there are, there are a couple guys that, that you would put up against, you know, some of the, some of the upper-tier guys across the conference. Not necessarily, you know, all-conference guys, but, you know, Lonnie Phelps is somebody that I feel like if you're talking about a mid-tier Big 12 offense or defensive line you wouldn't feel like he was out of place there Caleb Sampson it's probably pretty similar where you know he's somebody that if he checks the boxes right this season maybe maybe he does you know sneak up and grab some all-conference honors at some point point. and then I think you have kind of a lot of guys that have had opportunities and they've done various things with them Derek and I you know, they've had, you know, maybe a bright moment here and there, you know, like Jeremy Robinson, but you're waiting for guys to put it all together. One player that I think is kind of interesting that maybe people aren't talking about enough with regard to the defensive tackles is Caleb Taylor. And I don't know if that's because, 
you know, he came in, didn't have as high of a recruiting ranking as some of the other guys. I don't know if that's because it feels like he's been here for a while, but he came in as a defensive end, you know, when Kansas is three man front and had to kind of switch, you know, midstream to, to more of a, a three technique last year, I, I thought did some good things. And I feel like there's just this impression with him that maybe what he is is what he is. And, and I think that he's one of those guys that kind of straddles that line a little bit. You were talking about the players who have been in the program for, for four or five years or in college for four or five years. Maybe they don't make those jumps. I think Taylor is, is kind of an interesting mix, right? Because he does have that experience. And yet at the same time, there's probably some upside there that, that he hasn't tapped into. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity with the defensive line, both at end and at tackle, if somebody does want to jump up and, and sort of be that next guy, whether that's you know somebody like Davion Westmoreland, who is the junior college transfer they brought in at defensive end. Maybe it's it's somebody like Demarion Alexander who, you know, came in as a as a freshman, was was raw, was probably two hundred and ten, two hundred and fifteen pounds, had to add a lot of weight or, or bulk. I don't know that that Alexander is going to play a major role this year. I'm just saying that the opportunity is open at those spots if somebody does want to sort of hop up and, and grab it right now. And I think the same thing at defensive tackle, which is what makes Withers and, and Tommy Dunn two guys that you know are, are maybe have a little more upside than some of the guys who have been in the program longer, that makes them intriguing because I don't know how many snaps they're going to play when Kansas plays Tennessee Tech to open the season, but it might be a very different number than what they're playing in Week 10. Talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here, moving up a level to the linebackers, obviously overhauled for KU, uh, that – you know, something you talked about last week and that we talk about a lot on here is don't just be last with a bullet. Like, try to just be in line with the next worst team, and if you can pass somebody from there, do it. Well, last year that position group was last with a bullet in the Big 12. Um, so uh, do you think they did enough in that linebacker unit between guys just getting older, adding a bunch of transfers and, and talented guys to a certain extent that they have narrowed that gap to where it's no longer – last with a bullet or, or could they even be surpassed someone like where do you view the linebackers yeah i think it, it's interesting i know you guys have michael swain on uh from from fog.net and we did a, a position draft and swain was was more optimistic at this point on the linebackers than i was and it's not that i don't think there's ability there 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 is and all of a sudden Derek, there's depth there when you look at all the additions when you look at somebody like eric gilliard who has the production and everything that he's done, and he's going to have to really fight to win a starting spot, and he might not win one. You know, when you look at Rich Miller returning, when you look at the addition of Lorenzo McCaskill from Louisiana, when you look at Craig Young, who kind of has his own spot, right, because he can kind of play that nickel safety linebacker spot. And so when when you look at all of that, there's a, a lot of talent all of a sudden in the room, and some of it is is proven production. You know, McCaskill and Gilliard were both all-conference caliber guys at their previous stops, and yet at the same time, I just don't know how it's going to fit. And, and so, you know, Swain took the upside and, and basically said, hey, this 
this is a really talented group. You've got players here who have been really good in Division One football, and, and I kind of took a little bit more of the slow play where I said, you know, the pieces individually are significantly better. Taiwan Berryhill, I, I think, could grow into a bigger role this year. Obviously, Gavin Potter's extremely experienced. Krishan Brown was the player I really liked out of high school. Cornell Wheeler is somebody nobody's talking about, but he transferred in from Michigan before, you know, not playing last year. And so when you when you add all of that together, I feel like there's a chance that this is a middle tier Big Twelve group. And that's you know, you know from us talking on that, this isn't an insult. This is saying hey, Kansas has a linebacking core that can stand up and compete with teams in the Big 12, which Kansas did not have last year, quite frankly. And it was maybe the weakest position on the football team last year. And I I don't think that's anywhere near the case now. And I think that there's even the upside for that group to be pretty good, depending on how everybody comes along. All right, last one up is the secondary. Obviously, Young at the corner position last year, I think, uh, there was a lot of good talk coming into last year about Jacoby Bryant, and all things considered, yeah, there were ups and downs, but I think given that it was his freshman season, he performed pretty well. So like I said, you have some young talent there. You add guys in like uh, Jarrett Paul. We'll see if he's going to play more corner safety. Again, Monte McGarry, kind of same question there. Uh, Kalen Gervin comes in. What are kind of your thoughts on the secondary in comparison with the rest of the conference? Yeah, I thought they did a, did a really good job there, and it, it's uh, I think one of the interesting things there is you look at, at guys who were forced onto the field really early last year, you know, like OJ Burroughs. And it's not that it's not that OJ Burroughs can't play. I, I'm actually really high on on how he'll develop on, on down oh, the yeah. line. I, I would like to be the leader of the OJ Burroughs fan club. There there you go. <laughs> I, I am also an OJ Burroughs right, fan. But ideally you don't want him out there as a true freshman. And that's not a that's not a comment on his ability or, or anything like that. It's you would like to have some cushion built in so that when he hits the field, you're like, My God, this guy is on the field because he is so ridiculously good, not this guy is on the field because we have no one else. And and Jason Gilliam was in a very similar position last year as well. And all of a sudden you have Kenny Logan, who's maybe the best player on the team. At safety, you bring in, you know, Jarrett Paul and, and you bring in the different guys at, at safety. And all of a sudden you have like a three or a, a four deep, you know, when you look at that, you know, it's, it, it's pretty interesting too, because they all fit different skill sets. When you look at Marvin Grant from Purdue, I feel like he's more of a box safety, you know, he's a little bit bigger. And so when he and Kenny Logan play together, which one of them is coming up? I mean, they both could do it, and they both could slide back. But then you look at a guy like Jarrett Paul, who has played corner and safety. He can probably play that little nickel safety spot for you. He can do a lot of different things. He could play a free safety spot. Travis Dye is somebody that could slide around and, and do different things as well. He's a little bit more of a center fielder. And then when you look at, The cornerbacks, again, like you were saying, Jacoby Bryant thrown in there a little early. Romello Dotson probably thrown in a little bit early. And when you add guys like Kalen Gervin that's played at the level that he has and you add in Amani McGarry and guys like that, all of a sudden, again, Jacoby Bryant, if he sees the field, you're saying, okay, he had to beat out somebody 
who's been successful on a Division One football field to get there, as opposed to okay, we got to throw our freshman corner out there because we have to have a body out there. And so I do think that the secondary has come a really long way. That safety group is maybe the second best group on the entire team behind running backs. And when you look at the corners, I, I don't think it's quite at that spot, but I do think that it's a significant upgrade in, in both experience and, you know, with those guys getting thrown to the wolves last year, you know, even your, your three, four or five guys at those outside corner spots, they've been out there in big games. And uh, we're out of time, 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 the positive, the six wins. I want to get to the path of what disaster looks like for KU this year. If that were, were, 